0: Happy Sunday. I hope you got your neuro coffee because this is this week's Q&A. We got a lot of ground to cover, so this is going to be a fun one. So let's get ready. All right, so a little neuro coffee to get started. I had a lot of stuff going on, so I feel like I haven't done this in a long time because uh we had the intensive recently and so i couldn't do the q a that weekend because one didn't have time two no energy whatsoever so i'm still a little bit of recovery mode and we had a lot of stuff accumulate over the week so i got a, a fair amount of stuff to share with you um in regards to uh what i posted so if we go to the youtube we got the ifast podcast two and three. So we talked about internships and then we talked about hiring and firing. So if that's of interest to you, if you're a business person, those are really good discussions with Mike Robertson and myself. And so then we introduced rolling into assessments, breathing and training. So that was a fun one. Got a lot of good feedback on that. A lot of of interest in that. In fact, we got a question in the Q&A for that. So so, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, Better way to measure shoulder flexion. So we did the hip flexion video a while back. And I thought it would be interesting to, to show the difference in how you need to measure short reflection. So that's kind of a particular way to measure short reflection for consistency purposes and to actually get an accurate measurement. Um, rather than thinking in straight planes, we have to start thinking in rotations because everything is all about the turning. Um, we, we, uh, I posted uh, how to measure the infrasternal angle. That got a lot of attention too, because I think a lot of people have some difficulty with that. And and they weight certain things too heavily or maybe just grossly misunderstand, how to utilize that measure? Um, Rather than looking at things as absolutes, we have to look at those from an idiosyncratic standpoint. And again, there's a question in the Q&A in regards to the ISA, so we'll get to talk about that as well. Um, Last but not least, this morning I posted a video on how to mobilize an ankle to increase propulsion, which is kind of a big deal, especially with your people with uh, perceived ankle weakness or ankle instabilities, people that just don't have confidence, especially after an injury. This is a position that needs to be recaptured. And so I included some manual therapy and then a little bit of an exercise uh, recommendation in regards to how you're going to recapture that propulsive position. So, So check those out. On the Instagram from from the past couple weeks we talked about mixed grip deadlifts and body orientation how that influences body orientation we talked about synovial joints and the how one would develop arthritis over time in, in based on the behavior of how synovial joints work um, we also talked about uh, let's see training to bicep inhalation early propulsion and so again That was a nice little topic of interest. And, of course, then you got your daily 16% videos to go on for a little bit of uh, personal motivation and just reminders about how to behave and how to think. So there you go. Um, Little heads up. So I talked with Drew Keel this week on the uh, Quarterback Ducks podcast. So that's going to be out. He said it probably in three or four weeks. But he did send me uh, the video from, from that call. So I'm going to throw up some snippets of that Um, If I can uh, get to that maybe today, and we'll throw some of those up this week. It's sort of a little bit of a preview, but to give Drew uh, a heads up, they're doing some really good work, so so check them out. And that's about it for the review, so let's dig into the Q&A. So let's get started with this week's Q&A. I'm gonna start with a discussion about some some pelvic orientations and its relationship to the ISA. So this is gonna be a combination of questions from from Tim and Katie. And uh, so basically what they wanted to know is what kind of a chessboard presentation we were looking at That would result in a significant loss of hip external rotation and a significant gain in hip internal rotation and Katie wanted to bias this discussion towards the narrow ISA presentation so the narrow ISA if you recall is an inhaled axial skeleton with a compensatory exhalation strategy and so this will present with with certain orientations that are, that are based on this compensatory strategy, but to get to where they want this discussion to go, we're gonna to have to go through a sequence of compensatory strategies that are superimposed on top of this first exhalation compensatory strategy. So let me grab my pelvis, and we're gonna talk through this in sequence. So. So first and foremost, let's be clear that this is not a real pelvis. It does not move like a real pelvis and it does not bend and twist like a real pelvis because all bones bend, twist, elongate and compress. And so we have to have that understanding because what's going to happen to create this orientation is we're going to have shape change that's involved this shape change is very very easy to see in the thorax because it the constraints in the thorax are just a little bit less and it's a little bit easier to bend ribs and and move move scapulae as opposed to moving ilium and and creating compression here so i just want to throw that out ahead of time so everybody has an understanding that that this is this model is just not representative of what's really happening but we'll talk through it so if we think about the initial conditions that we're starting with so we have an inhaled axial skeleton, we have an exhalation compensatory strategy that is on top of that. So typically what's gonna happen is you're gonna measure somebody with a, a restricted opening of the ISA, so they're gonna measure with a narrow ISA. Because we have a, a restricted excursion of breathing, we're gonna make the assumption then is that we've also got this narrow infrapubic angle. We don't measure that directly because that's, that's a really personal area. And so again, we're, we're making an assumption but the, the orientation that we're going to look at initially with, with this compensatory strategy is that we're going to have an erd ilium and a counter-nutated sacrum. And again, that's what's going to give us some of this narrow ISA element. So that's an exhalation strategy superimposed on an inhalation uh, bias of the axial skeleton. So if that's an exhale strategy, then we need an an inhale strategy. So typically what's going to happen under those circumstances is we're gonna get further dissension of the the thoracic diaphragm and therefore further dissension of the uh, pelvic diaphragm. And so that's gonna allow us to inhale again. But then we're going to need another compensatory strategy to exhale. So typically what's going to happen in your narrows is you're going to get an anterior compression. So up in the thorax, what it's going to look like, it's going to look like a down pump handle. But in the the pelvis, what what we're going to get is we're going to get a compressive force against the pubis, which is going to move it back. And so then our next inhalation strategy is to expand farther into inhalation posteriorly because this is the area that's still open. After that, we're going to create a compensatory strategy posteriorly that's going to start to compress this this posterior aspect of the pelvis. And this is where we're going to start to get shape change. So I have a compressive force in the front, I have a compressive force on the back, and then I have the same thing going on in the thorax. So what's going to happen is I'm going to start to get this anterior orientation of the pelvis that's associated with the activity above the pelvis. So I have a compression here, and I have a compression here. But let's back up a baby step. As I compress on the front side, I'm gonna pick up a lot of external rotation of the hip. As I compress on the back side, I'm gonna steal some of that external rotation. I'm gonna be biased back towards internal rotation, but it's primarily a compressive strategy in the hip. So I lose both. But as I anteriorly orient the hip, as I anterior and the hip, the acetabulum is reoriented so it's gonna start to face down and that's gonna allow me to pick up a lot of internal rotation because there's no longer the acetabular constraint um, that's gonna block me from an internal, external rotation scenario. So so I'm gonna tip this up and over the the femur and that frees up a lot of internal rotation. Now we have to understand though as to where you're actually measuring your hip internal and external rotation measures. As we move through hip flexion, as I start here, especially with narrow ISAs, the gradient for external rotation is very, very steep, which means that I capture a lot of external rotation very, very quickly, but I lose it very, very quickly in the early stages of hip flexion. So as I'm here, I can show a lot of external rotation when, when, when the, the theoretical zero degrees, but you're not at zero degrees anymore because remember the pelvis is still forward. So I'm already biased into hip flexion before i even started so this early phase i can get er here but i'll start to lose it very very quickly as i move through hip flexion the gradient for internal rotation is very very long so it's not as steep as it is in external rotation But i'm already in internal rotation and as i measure if you're measuring it at the theoretical 90 degrees of hip flexion you're actually probably biased deeper into internal rotation than you think so the orientation and the compressive strategies that i used to get into this this orientation of the pelvis overall is already biased towards ir i measure through the ir arc probably close to its middle range where, where the internal rotation is is at its greatest, and so now you're gonna pick up a mess of IR, but you're gonna show a lot of loss of ER, because I've got an orientation of the pelvis that's gonna steal it, so I've got muscles that that would typically be considered um, internal rotators in this position because of the hip flexion, so I have a bias of glute max that becomes an IR, a piriformis becomes an IR, and the natural arc of moving through internal rotation of the pelvic diaphragm is through this middle range, so I pick up a lot of internal rotation And so I would lose external rotation as a result of this entire orientation. Now, I realize that's really, really confusing. So let's go through it one more time. My ISA is narrow, that's the exhalation strategy. To breathe in, I'm going to drive the diaphragm down farther. That's actually going to hold that ISA in and not let it expand, but it's also going to descend the pelvic diaphragm even farther. That's my inhale strategy. I'm going to exhale again. I compress the front. I'm I'm going to inhale and move it back, but i got to exhale again. Now I start to compress the back. I'm doing the same thing above in the thorax, which is going to orient my pelvis forward. That biases me into the, the internal rotation element of, of hip flexion as I move through flexion. And so I'm already reorienting musculature into internal rotation. I measure in the internal rotation position of, of the hip, so as I, as I flex the hip, it internally rotates here. And so that's how you're gonna pick up a whole lot of internal rotation and lose external rotation. So hopefully I made some sense. If I didn't, ask the question again, and we'll go through it as many times as we need to to get this thing right, because I know it's confusing. But what we're looking at is layers of compensatory strategies to inhale and exhale that result in this loss of external rotation and the gain in hip internal rotation. So next question comes from Eli, and Eli had a question in regards to, to ribcage presentations, and so his question seems kind of personal. He wants to know if he's got an asymmetrical ribcage, or is he always just turning right? And the reality is, is we could say yes to, to both questions. So for us to make a turn, there, there has to be a, a physical shape change to the ribcage and typically because of the combination of internal and external forces that we all have to manage our bias is going to be to to be orienting and turning our rib cage to the right so let me grab my my little rib cage model that i made from my arts and crafts here. And so the stick is the spine. I got a sixth rib here. I got a sternum, I got a first rib. And we're gonna look straight up through the thorax here. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make this asymmetrical and I'm gonna orient the, the spine to the right. And so there is there is somebody that's turning to the right. And so you can see the, the shape change here through the the rib cage, And so the answer is yes to both. And this is just simply the result of you managing the internal and external forces that we all deal with. So we're asymmetrical on the inside, we're symmetrical on the outside, we need a management strategy to control those forces. And so that's what we're looking at. And so there's nothing wrong with this, this is typical, it's very common. The concern is, 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 do you have enough shape change to be able to orient and turn yourself to the left and that might be a better representation of health or able to or help you to restore all of your movement capabilities to access both inhalation and exhalation so you have that full excursion of breathing and therefore a good representation of normal mobility. Coach Ledesma asks something referring to the infrasternal angle after establishing a wide Versus a narrow, what will be your next step? So the reason that we use, excuse me, the concept of wide versus narrow is because it allows us to determine what the compensatory strategy may be in a situation where somebody does not have full excursion of inhalation to exhalation. So that's simple and that guides our interventions and allows us to make better decisions based on probabilities. Um, they're not absolute. It's a very great area, so always keep that in mind. And this ISA concept is going to be idiosyncratic to that individual because their physics are going to be individualized. Um, so that would be step one. Um, he continues. Also, what is done with individuals who do not have a wider and narrow? So you could say you're 108.8. Um, what strategies would be used there? So the 108 thing is is the the, the vortex angle. So we're using the ISA as an estimate of the vortex angle, um, that which would be representative of the ability to move through this full excursion of compression and expansion, or inhalation-exhalation, as we would say for for us humans. And but what we're looking for is not some ideal measurement. We're looking for the dynamic ISA. So we want an ISA that will open into inhalation and close into exhalation, exhalation sufficiently to be able to access extremity and axial skeletal uh, range of motion so we can do all the fun things that we like to do from from a sports perspective so we're not really looking for any specific one angle and again people are going to be idiosyncratic because people's structures are different and so what their optimal is um, is going to be determined by those individual physics so hopefully that that touches on on what you're looking for Um, but to to reiterate We're using the assay to identify the first level compensatory strategy to allow us to select the best intervention for that individual. So again, if somebody's narrow, we're gonna make um, an assumption in regards to their orientations that would benefit from certain positions like quadruped, for instance. Um, Wides tend to not do as well early with, with quadruped activities and uh, they would tend to be more biased towards a sideline strategy in most cases for those wides. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of of information as to how you want to start uh, based on the infrastructure angle presentation. So our next question comes from Michael and this is also an ISA related question. So if the ribs can open and close as the arms go overhead, would that be an optimal ISA? So optimal is going to be idiosyncratic. But you're correct, and what we're looking for is the dynamic ISA. So we want an ISA that opens sufficiently and closes sufficiently to allow this individual to access the the movement that that is required for them to either stay healthy or to to produce some some measure of performance. And so, again, we can't say that one is optimal or not. We can talk about ranges of like 120 to 60 through this, this, this full excursion. Um, we can also mention, as we we talked in the in the earlier question about the 108.8 concept, um, which is uh, again a, a, an angle that we need to pass through to optimize the expansion and compression strategies that are associated with inhalation and exhalation. So but again this is going to be one of those things that we have to individualize so we're in a very very gray area as to what optimal is and so you have to look at this in combination what i would offer you is that if you have an isa that does not open and close sufficiently you will see extremity ranges of motion that are are most likely limited whether this is good or not depends on what the goal and intent is. Are we trying to raise performance? And so we might have a restriction intentionally, or are we trying to optimize health where we're going to try to expand the adaptability of the system? So again, you have to make these decisions based on the individual, but you're on the right track as far as this thing needs to open and close as a representation of our movement capabilities. So I think you're, you're right on track, Michael. Um... From Drew, you have previously mentioned how you are keen. Again, Drew, keen. Keep it up. Love that. Um, you previously mentioned how you are keen on avoiding treating clients like like rehab clients if you can avoid it. You mentioned that if warm ups were better, this could address a lot of issues. I think you're. I think you like the bear, bear crawl. Could you talk more about your warm up exercise program? So warm ups are dependent on the individual as to what their needs may be. But if you had to generalize concepts, what we wanna do is we want to um, optimize for that individual their ability to move through this full excursion of of breathing from inhalation to exhalation. So a lot of your activities should help to enhance or restore those capabilities. So if you look at the rolling videos um, that are up on YouTube, so those are representative of a way for people that don't use table tests aren't physical therapists and might be on the fitness side of things or the strength and conditioning side of things that will allow you to to train or even assess whether someone has this full respiratory capability and and so that might be the way that you initiate your warm up so simple rock and roll forward rolling backward rolling and even log rolling for your wide ISAs so keep that in mind might be this initial element of of any kind of warm up so you can use it diagnostically and you can use it from a training perspective from there now we're gonna we're gonna talk about being able to to shape change from side to side. So so turning is a big deal in regards to most sports and for from a health standpoint. And so I like to do a lot of cross connect variations. So this might be a cross connect in a side split squat, or it might be a cross connect in in a an anterior posterior orientation of a split squat. Or we might use a series of lunges with cross connects or backward lunges with cross connects. And then that moves into what looks like an A-march with a cross connect. And then that becomes more and more dynamic. So then this becomes an A-skip and so on and so forth. And then we can look at some sort of isolated activities that we might need. So depending on the individual. So let's just say I have a big, strong, muscular individual. What they might have to do is doing some loaded Uh, eccentric orientation in certain areas um, in an isolated manner. So so old school dumbbell flies done not to enhance Muscle strength or, or hypertrophy, but but just to achieve an eccentric orientation. So people that are very concentrically oriented need help achieving some of these eccentric positions to allow them to recapture this full excursion of inhalation and exhalation. So that might be included as well. And so there's any number of activities that that you can throw into your to your warm-ups um, rather than just blindly you know creating a sequence, but. Keep in mind that all of these these exercise strategies can be used as training and as your assessment because if you understand how this shape change occurs, one, you get to select those activities, whatever they may be. And so maybe we're doing old school gym gym class exercises like bear crawls and crab walks. Um, to restore movement capabilities, but again, we can also keep our eyes on people and use them as our ongoing assessment so so, if you look at your key performance indicators in regards to whatever you're you're trying to recover, achieve, or promote, we can use these activities in that manner so again, um, I, what does my warm up consist of uh, in a nutshell, whatever it needs to consist of because we have to understand that what shape change are we trying to influence and and what capabilities are we trying to enhance? So hopefully that answers your question. Next question comes from Brian. Brian, your last name happens to be my dog's name. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just wanted you to know that your last name means peaceful village. That's why we named my dog that because, well, unfortunately, he's not very peaceful. Um, But Brian has some questions in regards to to the fascial system and some concepts in regards to, to, to movement. And in a nutshell. Um, What what he's asking is about do these fascial planes or or some of these orientations influence how we drive the internal fluid pressures and and he he says, would you subscribe the idea that individual limbs move in spiral movement trajectory only or that there are some straight line and diagonal influences as well as it seems by evidence by the collagen lay down. How do you how do internal fluid pressures influence this? Would it be correct to consider a concept of spiral muscular fascial loops that work like a compression and tension type fluid filled springs? So I think you're actually on track with this, with this last element of, of your, of your, uh, your statement in question there. Um, I would offer that the, there aren't, there aren't any straight lines um, at all. Um, what we'll see though, it, it appears to be straight lines because the helical angles are very, very steep. And then you also have to look at every element of the system. You can't just look at fascia, you can't just look at a muscle, you can't just look at a bone. You have to look at how everything is organized because it's all made of the same stuff. So so everything that you are is is water and collagen. And so you have to look at the entire orientation. But like I said, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely on track with the fact that, that all we're looking at is these diagonal and, and rotational relationships. And what we want to be able to see are these, these reciprocal rotations through each segment. It's when the system starts to try to move simultaneously in the same direction that we run into problems. So, so that's how you blow an ACL. That's how you blow the UCL ligament of the elbow. Um, that's when you start to get compressive strategies and joints like hip impingement and shoulder impingement. Is when we lose the ability to create this reciprocal rotation between segments, whether it be side to side or through an extremity. So I think you're absolutely right. And, and th- this is exactly what we're doing is we're moving these, these fluid pressures um, and, and that allow us to, to uh, demonstrate our ca- capabilities of movement. And so um, I, I think that, that what you're studying right now is you stay on track with that, but, but respect the fact that it is all, all rotational spiral elements that, that we're actually looking at. <clears throat> Next question comes from Brian. And this is a different brian and basically brian's asking about about the the differences between early and late propulsion because they are very very similar into their their representation because both are are external rotation supination and and inhalation uh orientations and so what is the difference between the two so if you think about how you're positioning the lower extremity right before ground contact so i'm externally rotated supinated inhaled and then as i strike the ground what i have is i have more of an orientation that's driven from the femur moving in the acetabulum to orient the lower extremity at the back end at the latest element of of the propulsive phase where my foot is still on the ground because I'm grounded I have to have an orientation of, of the pelvis that's moving on the femur but I'm moving towards that same position of external rotation uh, supination and inhalation. So that would be the difference is that as I'm positioning myself early, it's going to be more more femur moving, on, moving uh, on the pelvis. And then as I am late, it's going to be the pelvis that's going to be orienting relative to the femur. So that would be the biggest difference in the two. So I hope that answers your question in that regard. So I got a question from Chase. And Chase saw the short reflection video that we shot with Nikki doing a self-test. And so Chase basically wants to know, are there any other self-tests that we could use to indicate where we may need to restore this full excursion of breathing from inhalation to exhalation that allows us to move freely. And yes, there are, and we don't have to get terribly complex. So if we think about shoulder flexion being a representation of our ability to inhale in in the the thorax because it is representative of external rotation, we could do the same thing through the hip. So simple hip hip flexion. So go back to the video that we showed with with Nikki doing uh, hip flexion. You can simply do that yourself by pulling the knee towards the chest. So think about bringing the knee up towards the chest, compressing the, the thigh onto the abdomen and keeping it lined up basically with whichever side you're doing. So if we did a right knee to, to chest, line it up with your right eye. And so we can use both sides of the hip orientation in this case as a representation of inhalation to exhalation. So if I have trouble bringing... My, my thigh to my abdomen, that would be indicative of a potential inhalation restriction on the right side. It would also be indicative of a limitation on exhalation on the left side if I can't keep that hip extended as I bring the knee um, towards my chest because the extension would be representative of the ability to exhale on that side. And so basically you're moving yourself through this, this full excursion of, of propulsion, where I'd be early with the knee to chest and, and more towards the middle um, element with the downside leg, which would be internal rotation exhalation. So basically, you've got two simple tests: shoulder flexion and hip flexion, that would be representative of your ability to inhale and exhale through the pelvis and through the thorax. So it's really quite simple. There are some symmetrical tests, although they're a little bit more uh, difficult. to to utilize a self-test because there are compensatory strategies that allow you to do things in in a symmetrical test. So, for instance, with a toe touch, um, typically what you would need for a toe touch is is the ability to, to inhale posteriorly where you can get a counter-nutation of the sacrum to allow you to touch your toes. But there are many people that have compensatory strategies that allow them to, to touch their toes without counter-nutation. The same thing with the squat. There are many variations of, of a squat that you may actually be able to squat below parallel, but you don't have full counter-nutation. So I prefer the asymmetrical tests as a representation with the two simplest being the back to wall flexion and the, the single knee to chest because as I inhale on one side, I have to exhale on the other. And so you could use those strategies as your self test and um, determine what your movement capabilities need to be. So I'm gonna wrap up the Q and A. With those questions for this week we're, we've got some other questions that i'm just going to roll over into, into next week that we'll do through instagram we've got some performance related stuff that's going to be really really interesting in regards to weightlifting belts and what happens in the pelvis during certain types of lunges so i'll be looking for those and we'll leave it at that have a great sunday enjoy your neuro coffee as we always do and i'll see you next week